You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Amen. Good. All of you who participated in that yesterday, thank you so much. That's ministry to our community. I've got a couple of things I need to share with you. I, I, I thought we had, we had a group uh, that went out of here to another church over in Leeds, Alabama. And um, there is a church there that is desperately in need of um, replanning. Uh, much like we did with Old Town, uh, we're looking to do in that church over in Leeds. It's Valley View uh, Baptist Church. And uh, as soon as we get the rest of the information to the elders and the deacons and uh, they all pray about it, we're going to have, in fact, Patrick will come out and share with you. We're going to have some nights where you can go over and walk through the church and spend some time in prayer there. The elders have already been over there and have spent some time looking at it, praying for it, and uh, we want you to be a part of that as well. You know, God has blessed Valleydale so much that to sit and not be actively involved helping other church plants, uh, helping other churches that need to be replanted, and being a part of missions would be a sin before the Lord. So we feel like you'll get to vote on this in April, but I'm making you aware of it now that we believe that the Lord's calling us to, for us to go and help replant that church. So some of you, now listen, they don't have the financial issues that... Um, uh, Old Town did. So um, we don't have that issue. There are different issues that we believe that God has uniquely gifted us to be able to help them. Now, some of you probably live over that area. You could go for three months and help. You could go for six months and help. You could go for a year and say, we're going to go as missionaries for a year and help work over there. Or some of you can say, thank you, pastor. We've got somewhere else to go now and we don't have to listen to you anymore. So you can do that, whatever God lays on your heart. So be in prayer for that ministry. We've got two groups that are going out this week, uh, one in the States, one across the Orient uh, that um, Patrick will share with you as well. We need to keep them in prayer and uh, just remember them as they go. Three weeks, Easter Sunday, don't come by yourself. Bring somebody with you. And in fact, in two weeks from now, I'm going to be preaching from the Sea of Galilee. And uh, I've got a message out of Matthew chapter 14 that I'm going to share with you. And uh, I hope you'll be here. That's a great Sunday to bring somebody as well, especially on Friday night, Good Friday. We'll be gathered here. We'll have a dinner and we will observe the Lord's table uh, around all of our tables, very much the way the early church did. They would eat a meal. That's how we know they were Baptists. They would eat a meal, and then they would observe the Lord's table after that. So uh, you just be a part of all that God's doing uh, here at the church in these next couple of weeks. Uh, take your copy of God's Word, Exodus chapter 16. Father, we just pray that for the next few moments that you would gain glory and honor for yourself that you would humble our hearts, that we would bow before your word, that we, Lord, we've listened to voices of this world all week long. We pray for a few moments free of distraction that we can listen to your word and that your spirit would be free to apply it to our heart. Use me, O oh Father, 
as a coin in the hand of the king, spend me in your kingdom's realm for all that I'm worth in Jesus Christ. And I pray it in your name. Amen. Um, Exodus, if you're just joining us, is one of the most unique books I've ever really studied through in the Word of God. Now, maybe I say that about every book, and I feel that way when I really begin to study every book, probably so, but this shows the life of Christ so clearly, and it shows so clearly the life of a Christian. Uh, For example, the Hebrews came out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage under the blood of a lamb. Uh, God that night on Passover, because they had painted the blood of a lamb over their doorposts, God spared them from physical death and brought them out of that bondage. That's what happened to me. That's what happened to you. That under the blood of the Lamb of God, we have not just been spared death in this life, but we have been spared eternal death in in an actual devil's hell because... He has delivered us through the blood of the Lamb of God. And as God delivered them out, he brought them through the Red Sea. They were, in essence, baptized as they passed through the sea. And you say, when a preacher, you, you, you may be making a little much of that. Well, if I am, so did Paul. Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So as they passed through that sea, in a sense, it is a picture of us being baptized. That's how important baptism is. Jesus submitted himself to be baptized, immersed, That is, literally, the word baptizo means to immerse, to be put under the water, just as you saw. He left that as an example for us to do in obedience, to follow his obedience. So, um, that was the picture of the Hebrews passing through the Red Sea. It's what happens to us when we follow Christ. We pass through the waters of baptism. And then they are now out in the wilderness, And that wilderness, those 40 years in wilderness out there is a picture of of the church age. Since the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ until the rapture of the church, we are in what we call the church age. And we are living out our Christian life wandering through this wilderness. Now, Egypt was not the home of the Hebrews. Neither was the wilderness. God was leading them to a place called the promised land that he had prepared for them. Well, the same thing is true of you and of me. And for those of us that have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, uh, this, this wor- let, the word tells you that this world is not my home. My home's not my home. It's Debbie's. It's her name's on the thing. No, it, uh, it, I'm, listen, I'm, pa- I'm wandering through this life. I'm on my way to a different place. It's a place, it's a city that is built without hands, whose maker and founder is God. We're on our way to heaven. Amen? Man, you ought to be able to amen that, surely. Well, that's what we're seeing in the book of Exodus. And yet in all of this wandering through this life, we come on test after test after test. 
Now you say, when a preacher, I've got a problem with that. Well, I don't know what to tell you to do uh, because that's life. Uh, that's what you're going to see with these Hebrews. It's one test after another, after another. You say, well, I, I just don't like tests. Well, let me let you in on something. I don't like them either. Uh, it, it's, not the, it's not the joy of life to go through tests. And yet life is full of tests. And I showed you last week, God brings some of these tests to us. For example, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2, he says, you'll remember all the way uh, through the wilderness that your Lord led you so that he might test you. So we all go through that. And the Lord allows it in our lives because God has a plan for our lives. Now, I want to I give you this out of a very current illustration in the life of this church. Sweet little couple here by the name of Chris and Kelsey Veal uh, wrote me a letter. I got it last night. I want you to listen to what they said. My wife and I wish to express our sincerest gratitude to everyone at Valleydale Church for their amazing support during the time of Jacob's birth and the time soon after. As some of you may know, we were faced with news no parent wishes to hear. He passed all of his prenatal ultrasounds, but on the afternoon of his birth on February the 16th, Jacob was found to have significant heart defect, which resulted in rapid decline of his health and the first couple of hours and days of his life. He subsequently spent eight days in NICU at UAB, which was mostly filled with tears while we watched him struggle with strings of skipped heartbeats and challenges to keep his oxygen levels up. We were, however, not alone during this time. The Lord started to make himself known in an almost tangible way, which we had not previously experienced in our entire spiritual life with Christ. Scripture and prayer came alive. We received texts, calls, emails from both our physical family as well as our spiritual family at Valleydale. Our Valleydale life group led by Terry and Rebecca Rents, along with pastors and friends and even those we don't know from the church rushed to support us. We received scripture from our church family which served as stability and truth in such uncertainty and fear. Valleydale has gone above and beyond to provide our family uh, meals and groceries which have decreased our burden in the home so we can focus and learn about Jacob's specific needs on top of raising three other children, uh, the oldest being five. They have four now, four, five and under. Jacob is now home, seems to be doing well. His prog prognosis and life course is uncertain. At some point, he'll require a surgery, a major surgery, or multiple major heart surgeries. This may be next month, maybe when he's 20 years old. We're learning to trust the Lord with his life. We are so proud to call Valleydale our church home. We cannot thank everyone enough for what all you've done. Your words of spiritual encouragement have sustained our family. We have thanked God for you all so many times in our prayers. Thanks for being such a great example of the body of Christ. God is good. Jesus is king. Amen. Now, um, you want to know why I love this church? That's why. Right there. Now, if you were to go to Chris and you were to go to Kelsey and say, hey, guys, let me ask you something. Um, did God do this to your boy? The answer is no. But did God, in his sovereignty, use this in your life as a test? I guarantee you, they would say, you bet. 
probably the hardest test they've ever faced. And you say, well, now why would God do that? Well, you heard them say, uh, the Lord started to make himself known to us in an almost tangible way, which we had not previously experienced in our entire spiritual life with Christ. Scripture came alive. Prayer came alive. We, came, we saw our church come alive for us. And, and you heard them come down here to say, we are trusting God now with his life every day. That's what God's doing in the tests of life. That's why he allows us to go through these tests. Listen, God has a plan for the tests he allows you to experience in life. Now, I want you to look at this chapter, chapter 16, and I've got just two things to share with you. Two things, I promise, with multiple subpoints. Now, here we go, chapter 16, verse 1. They set out from Elim, or if you're from South Carolina, Elim, uh, but it's Elim uh, in the Hebrew. They leave there the place of the 12 whales, one whale for each tribe, and the 70 date palms, one palm tree for each of the 70 elders, which was a sign to the people, God's got you covered. I've got every tribe covered. I've got every elder covered. So they leave there and they set out from there. And uh, you're going to see that they are about six weeks out of Egypt. And they run out of their unleavened bread. You remember on the Passover, God said, get the leaven out of your house. Don't put any of it in your bread because you don't have time for it to rise. You're going to have to bake it and move as rapidly as possible. So they had enough bread to last them about six weeks, and now they've run out of bread. And you read in verse 2, the whole congregation of the sons of Israel did what? You, you don't even have to look at the text. Tell me what they did. Grumbled. They grumbled. You see, now they're going to blame Moses and Aaron for doing this. I've talked to you about grumbling last week, and I'll just show you something here. Last week, they blamed Moses because of a lack of water or the bitter water that was there at Marah. Now they come, and they're going to blame Moses and Aaron because the nature of grumbling is to expand. I'm going to grumble about somebody today. I want to tell you something. You'll be on somebody else tomorrow. You grumble about one person today, and tomorrow it's going to be two people, and the next day it'll be three, and it's just an ever-widening circle of people that you just murmur and grumble and complain about. I shared with you last week that it becomes a pattern in life. You begin this pattern, and all of a sudden you're going to discover, now this pattern has become a habit, and when you sow a habit in your life, let me tell you what it leads to. It leads to your character. So that you begin just to grumble a little bit here, and it's going to grow, and it's going to become a pattern, and then it's going to be a habit, and then it's going to be who you are. And when it's who you are, it is what people will know about you. And so they are grumbling now, and the whole problem with grumbling is this. 
is that it shows that there is a lack of gratitude, a lack of thanksgiving, and a lack of faith. Those three things right there. When somebody is always grumbling, it's proof they are not grateful, they are not thankful, and they really don't have a very deep faith in the things of God, in God himself. In fact, that's what you're going to see through this whole passage right here. And Moses nails this thing dead on head right here. This is a tough passage to preach, but it's a passage we need to listen to because Moses is going to come, if you'll look in verse 8 of chapter 16, and he's going to say, this will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread to the full in the morning. We'll get to that in just a moment, but what I want you to see is this. He says, God's going to do that. Why? For the Lord hears your grumblings, which you grumble, look at this, against him. And you say, well, no, wait a minute, preacher. You know, I might grumble about some things. I might complain about some things, but I'm not grumbling against God. It's interesting. We love to hear Jesus when Jesus says, if you give just a cup of water in my name, if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. Oh, that's, you know, I gave a bum a dollar out on the street. I've given it to Jesus. I, you know, I gave somebody a cup of water uh, at the house passing by. They were thirsty. Uh, they live outdoors. I just gave them a cup of water, but I did it in Jesus' name. I love being, I did, I did that for Jesus. We, we like that, but when the Lord comes and says, hey, when you grumble against your brothers and sisters, you're grumbling against me. We don't like that. We don't like that. Now, let me tell you, the word to grumble here is used eight times in this passage. We are told five times that the Lord hears it, and two times we are told of that eight that it is against the Lord himself. So the Lord knows when we grumble, and he hates it because he takes it personally. That's why, that's why Moses writes this. That's why in every epistle of Paul, Paul talks about the unity of the church, the harmony of the church, that we're not to allow any kind of, of division to exist among us as the people of God. God looks at murmuring and grumbling in such a way that he despises it among his people. He forbids it. He takes it personally. And all of that grumbling does this. It helps us to distort everything. In the midst of somebody's complaining and grumbling, they never get the story right. Just, just wait a minute. Amen. They never get it right. They never get the account exactly right. And you're going to see this in the life of these people here. I want you to look at this at verse 3. Pick it up in the middle of verse 3. Because now they are saying to Moses and Aaron, when we sat by the pots of meat, talking about back in Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, we ate bread to the full, uh, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Your whole purpose, Moses, was to get us out of here where we just starved to death. Oh, but now listen, listen, let me tell you something. They could not get Egypt out of their mind and in their hearts, they embellished what it was like back in Egypt because what they're saying right there is we sat out by the pool every afternoon, we sipped Arnold Palmer's, and we barbecued up a storm. It was a party every day. 
Well, no, it wasn't. They were slaves making bricks, and they had barely enough to sustain their life. And so they embellish the past. They grumble, and in your grumbling, all you do is you get the facts wrong. Well, they thought it was a party. And now they're going through a test. And they're going to go through more tests. And the question is, why does God keep allowing them to go through tests? And I'll tell you why. Because God had delivered them out of the land of Egypt. But now God's trying to get Egypt out of them. Why do I go through tests? Why do you go through tests? For the same reason. Y'all remember the Beverly Hillbillies? Some of y'all know good TV. And, and you grew up under good music. I wish this generation knew good music and good television. 1962, it came on television. It ran for nine years. I think it went off in 71. I was six years old when it came on. I remember sitting there watching that black and white TV because it was in black and white. And that's all you had at the time. We watched that uh, black and white TV of, uh, of the Beverly Hillbillies. And for all of you who were born out of time, um, um, let me tell you a story about a man named Jed <laughs> who was a poor mountaineer, barely kept his family fed. And then one day he was shooting at some food and up through the ground came a bubbling crude. Oil, that is. Black gold. Texas tea. We have some sanctified people in this sanctuary this morning. Now, all the kinfolks said, Jed, you got to get away from here. So he loaded up the truck, and they moved to Beverly. And uh, that whole thing came on, on whatever night it came on. It came on, and it had this massive Beverly Hills, Southern California mansion. I mean, it looked like nothing I had ever seen in my hometown. It was massive. It was huge. And now you've got these hillbillies that drive up in front of this place and that becomes their home. But granny ain't happy. She's not happy. She's depressed. She's discouraged. She's despondent. Uh, she is just not satisfied. She doesn't like that big old Beverly Hills mansion. So you know what they do for granny? They go out the back and he built her a one-room log cabin. And they built her a little porch, and they put a rocking chair on it, and you see Granny sitting on that rocking chair on that porch snapping beans. And you say, what's the point? The point is this. We so often in our Christian life leave the mansion of grace for the ramshackled cabin of sin. God has provided so much for us, and yet in his provision, we can't simply trust him day by day. And so we long to go back to some old rundown shack of a cabin behind the mansion God intends for us to live in. Now, I'm not talking about health, wealth, and prosperity here. You understand exactly what I'm talking about. It's the relationship with the Lord that's the mansion. 
It's his grace and his love and his forgiveness. And so they all, listen, they go all go out there. They don't stay there, but they go out there to see old granny back there. And that's exactly what the Lord's doing. He's trying to get, you could get those hillbillies out of Tennessee, but you could never get the Tennessee out of the hillbilly. What's God doing with me in the tests of life? That's exactly what he's doing. He is trying every way he can. He has saved me out of the kingdom of darkness. He has placed me in the kingdom of light. And now he's trying to get the rest of that world out of Mac Brunson. And in doing that, he is, listen, the reason he does all of this, he is preparing us for what he has prepared for us. And I'm not just talking about heaven. I'm talking about this life. There's some of you teenagers in here, it never crosses your mind. But the fact of the matter is, right now in the 11th grade, the 12th grade, your first year in college, God is trying to prepare you for what he has prepared for you. And the same is true with you 60 and 70-year-olds. Mr. Ken walked out of here and said, don't forget the 91-year-olds. He's 91 years old. And he walked out of here and said, don't forget me. God's still doing this in my life. He's preparing you for something he has prepared for you. Some work, some ministry, some goal, some purpose that he has for your life. I don't know because I don't know God's purpose for your life but let me tell you something, God's still working in your life and he's trying to get all of that other junk out, preparing you for what he has prepared for you. So there's a purpose. And secondly, there's a provision. Now watch this. Um, I'm gonna show you something that is hard for me to believe in the text. It, it, is, it is stunning to me when I read these words that it's hard to think beyond them. Pick it up in verse three and look at what is said. They speak now and they're speaking to Moses and Aaron and the sons of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. Now, I'm gonna tell you what they're saying. I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you what I think they are saying. They didn't say it directly, but it's getting close to it. They are basically saying there, we should have not painted the blood over the doorposts and just died in Egypt with the Egyptians. Now, I want to tell you, that runs close to blasphemy. That's a spooky statement. That's a scary statement to think that they would say something like that, that we wish we had just died by the Lord's hand. Well, who, who brought the death on all of the firstborn of Egypt. The Lord did that. So they're essentially saying, we just should not have done what the Lord said in painting the blood over the doorposts. We should have just been willing to die so that we wouldn't come out here and starve to death. Well, let me ask you something. How would you respond to that? I'd zap the fire out of every one of them. Now, I really would. Now, that's what I do. Just be glad Mac Brunson's not God because I would have. I would have just zapped them all right then and there. But this is the amazing part of God. This is the, 
This is the part I can't really get my head wrapped around, how God says what he says next. The Lord's going to speak to Moses in verse 4. Look at what he says. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, watch, look, fasten your attention to this. I will rain bread down from heaven for you. Now, that's, that is even more baffling than what the Hebrews said. That in the face of these Hebrews saying, we wish we had not done this, we wish we had just died by your hand like the Egyptians back there in Egypt, God turns around and listen, he doesn't, he doesn't jump on them, he doesn't curse them, he doesn't, he, he blesses them. He turns around and he says, I'm going to rain down bread. Now, that's a phrase that's used over and over in Scripture, and especially in the Old Testament. I'm going to rain down, rain down, rain down. You go back to Genesis chapter 19, God says, I'm going to rain down um, brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. It meant that this was a sovereign judgment from a sovereign God. He said, I'm going to rain down hail and fire on Egypt. And now he comes and he says, I'm going to rain down bread on these Hebrews. Now, the whole concept of rain down is that this is an act of God, and it's an act that only God can perform. Now, as educated and sophisticated and full of technology as we are, let me let you in on something. You stop and think about this. We can't cause a little spring shower to occur or turn one off. With all the stuff that we've got, all the amazing things that we've been able to accomplish, we, we can't control which direction the wind blows or that it's blowing at all. And so God comes and God is saying this, I'm going to do what only I can do. I'm going to bring about the only thing that I can bring about. I'm going to respond to their grumbling and their murmuring with the fact that I am going to rain down bread from heaven. That's God's work. That's God's grace. That's God's mercy. That's God's patience. That's God's long-suffering. To think of the things that I have regretted before God and said, oh, I wish I didn't hear, I didn't there, this or that and the other. And God had every right just to zap me and he turns around and blesses me instead. What a God. What a God who loves, who can understand that kind of love. And in saying this, let me show you three quick things that he's doing. Number one, he's talking about spiritual nourishment here. When he comes in this verse, in verse 4, and he says, listen, I'm going to rain down bread. I want you to listen to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Now, I've had you go to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 on a number of occasions. But now I want you to look at the very next verse, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And I'm not so sure that this verse isn't the key verse to the entire book of Deuteronomy. Now listen to what God says. He humbled you. He let you be hungry. 
He fed you with manna which you did not know. He said, you'd never seen this, heard of this before, nor did your father. Your fathers, your, the, all of your fathers before you, they'd never seen of anything like this, never heard of anything like this before, that he might make you understand. He says, God did this for a reason, and the reason is this, that you might understand that man does not live by bread alone. Now, I'm going to get on a plane Tuesday night, and I'm going to fly to a part of the world where bread is the major part of every meal. I've, I've gone in. I've been in Bedouin tents. I've walked in there. I've, I've, I've been with these folks before, and I've seen the major part of a meal for them, a few olives off of a tree, a little goat's uh, cheese. Is that feta? It's not feta. Well, whatever goat's cheese is. It, it, you know, they've got a little bit of goat's cheese and they've got a big old piece of bread. Now that's a meal. I mean, we sit down every night and we've got what? We got roast beef. We got string beans. We got rice. We got gravy. We've got corn on the cob. We've got, okay, it was good service. Let's go home. Um, we've, we've got all of that. That's not, that's not the way the rest of the world eats. This is the way they eat. He says, I, I, I want you to understand, I'm trying to teach you something that you don't live by bread alone, but man lives the spiritual nourishment, what gets you through testing times, what gets you through difficulties and hardship is not sunbeam, it is the word of God. It's every word. Does that sound familiar to you? Do you know somebody else that went through a test? I mean a severe test. The devil himself shows up. And this is the response. That man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Well, that's what he's trying to teach us. He's trying to show us, listen, you've got to be in the word of God. There's got to be a time where you pull away from the world that's been talking to you all week long and come in and at least listen to what God has to say to you. And so then there is the second thing, and that's divine dependency. They've got to go out every morning and gather this. They've got to be dependent on God every single day. The Lord said to Moses, behold, I will rain bread down from heaven, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. Now, my question, when I read, read this and I think about it, I think, why didn't God go, do, go, go the Costco route? Why didn't God say, hey, listen, don't go get a dozen eggs. I'm going to give you five dozen at one time. You know, you go into Costco and that's what you do. You don't buy a gallon of milk. What, what is that, a gallon and a half that you buy in there? Uh, you, you, it's more, you don't go get four rows of toilet paper. You get a crate of it. You do the same thing with cereal. You buy these big old boxes. I've never seen boxes of cereal like they have. In there. You buy five and six of these things, of these big boxes of cereal. Why didn't God do that? God could have done that. God could have said, you go out there and gather nothing. I'll show back up in three months and give you some more. But he doesn't do it. He says it's day by day. You've got to go out every single day. Now watch it what God is doing. People shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them. What he's trying to do is this. I'm trying to teach you to trust me every single day. You trust me today. 
Jesus said, Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got to, you know, it, it'll get here. It'll take care of itself. Today has enough concern. Today is all you need to be concerned about. And if you'll trust me today, I'll get you through today. And when tomorrow gets here, we'll work on tomorrow. How did Jesus teach these disciples to pray? Uh, you know, he teaches them to pray like this and give us this day. Enough bread for the next three months. No, it's every day, our daily bread. And some of you are going through tests right now, and you wonder, why is this dragging out? Because God is trying to teach you, trust me, put your faith in me today, and we'll get through today. And you'll discover, I can get up tomorrow morning, and I can trust him tomorrow, just like I trusted him today. Then there's the third thing, and the third thing is personal responsibility. You see, every man's got to do this. Look over at verse 16. You're in Exodus 16. Look at this in verse 16. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat, and you shall take an omer apiece. That's a, a, a measure. A piece according to the number of persons uh, each of you has in his tent. Some families were larger than other families. Some families had extended family living in there. Some had, you know, you got a 16-year-old, you got to consider that they eat way much more than anybody else. So you've got all of that. In a, he says, you go and you gather what every man should gather for his family. And here's the interesting thing. Watch this. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is this is a miracle right here. And I'll tell you what it's saying. When they measured it out with an omer, he who had gathered much had no excess. He who gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. Now you say, what is that saying? It's saying this, that God evened it all out. No, God, it, it's saying this, is that in the sovereignty and the care of God, Every man who went out and gathered for his family, it was enough to fill that family up every day. Whether the guy went out there and got a little bit more than what, what he would need or the one that went out there and got a little bit less than what he needed, that in the sovereignty of God's care for his people, God filled them all up every day. Jiminy Cricket. I keep saying, what a God. What a God. He meets our needs. Whatever they are, he meets our needs. Now, here is the problem in all of this. They had to listen. They had to listen to what God was saying. And you say, well, it seems like they did. Well, I'm going to show you something here. And I want to wrap this up by talking to you about listening. You know, when I preach, I cast a wide net. There's some of you that are sitting here this morning that more than anything else, you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. You need to come and put your faith in Christ. You need to give him your life. You need to put your trust in him. There's some of you here need to do that, and you need to do that today. There are others of you here, you're going through testing time. It, you're, you're a struggle. Listen, let me tell you, I, I talked to Chris several times through this with Jacob. And uh, you could tell here was a, a dad, a husband struggling with a little boy. What, they don't know what the next hour is going to bring. You could sense the struggle. Some of you are struggling right now. You're struggling with marriage. You're struggling with a home. You're struggling with children. You're struggling with work. You're struggling with finances. You're going through a test right now. Others of you, listen, 
I couldn't teach you if I put a gun to your head. I'm just telling you the truth. So I cast a wide net. But the responsibility of taking the word of God, listen, let me tell you, God holds me and will hold me responsible for what I preach. And and did I get it right? Was I accurate? The, The greatest fear I have in my life is misleading somebody with a text of scripture. It's the greatest fear I have in my life. I don't fear dying. I don't fear a lot of things in life, but I actually fear having to stand before God and God say, boy, you blew that text out the water. I want to be correct when I stand before you with the word of God. I'm going to tell you something. I study every day, most days, all day. But that's my responsibility. It's not yours. Your responsibility is to listen. Whether you like me, don't like me, enjoy me, don't enjoy me, that's not the issue. The issue is you are held responsible before God to listen to the word of God and let the Holy Spirit apply it to your life and thereby respond in the appropriate way. Now that's what God's called us both to do. That's what you see here. They did not listen. They did not listen. Verse 22, now on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers of one each, when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, and he said to them, this is what the Lord meant. Tomorrow is a Sabbath. Observance, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all of that is left over will be kept aside until morning. So they put it aside. until Moses ordered, did not come foul, or nor was there any worm in it. You see, There was one group that went out and gathered too much, and they thought, well, we don't know if God's going to show up tomorrow morning or not, so we've gotten a lot more than what we needed, and so we're just going to keep it. We're keeping it, which lets you know God knows what was in their heart because some gathered in excess, and they didn't intend to, but there were those that gathered because they didn't know if God would show up. We don't know if it's going to be here tomorrow or not. We can't trust God. And so the next day, they got up, and it was full of maggots. That's about the grossest thing I can think of. Full of maggots. Why? Because they did not listen. God said, gather what you need for this day. And they didn't listen. Why didn't they? I don't know. Maybe they were grumbling and they never heard God. Because grumbling will shut the voice of God out in your life. Amen. I don't know if it was because they thought, well, I don't need this. I don't need that information. I can get that information another time. I've heard all this kind of stuff before. I don't need, I can check out mentally. I don't need to listen to all this stuff. Then they went the other direction. God comes and he tells them right here, what I just read you, go out on Friday because that is Friday night sundown begins their set. Go out Friday morning, gather up enough for two days so that you don't have to grow, go out on the Sabbath and gather any. God will give you enough. He won't turn it to worms that if on Friday morning you gather enough for two days for your family because then you'll get up Sabbath end, Saturday at sundown, and uh, you, you'll have food. God will bring you food on Sunday morning. Y'all see what I'm saying? And so they go out on the Sabbath, and there's nothing there. They didn't do it. They, they, they got this thing wrong on both ends. There was nothing there for them to gather on the Sabbath. And Moses got angry with them. 
And he gets angry with them because they will not listen to what God has said. This is what God tells you to do. Have you heard him? There is a personal responsibility on everyone. You talk about responsibility in America today and people get mad. There is a personal responsibility on every one of us as the people of God to hear, listen, and let the Spirit of God apply his word to our lives. It's a matter of life and death. This coming May the 10th will be the year anniversary of an event that took place down in Fort Pierce, Florida, that there are folks, I remember watching it. I remember seeing this thing. Uh, there, was, um, there was a Cessna that was up that called into the Fort Pierce airport and said, I'm a passenger in a plane and my pilot is incapacitated. He's either passed out He's having a heart attack. I, I, we don't know what's going but he's unconscious. And I, I can't fly a plane. I don't know how to fly a plane. There's a guy there by the name of Robert Morgan who had 20 years experience in the control tower. Beyond that, he also had 1,200 hours teaching people how to fly airplanes. He was out on the lunch break. He was sitting right outside on a bench reading a book. They ran out there and grabbed him, took him back in. And Robert said, you know, I, I just had the first thing I had to find out is, is the plane flying? Is it, is it still? And he said, I discovered the plane's flying. The guy now is up there in the pilot seat. They evidently pulled the pilot out to the side. He's in the pilot seat. And he tells him this, I, you just need to stay calm. You're going to be okay. I can tell you how to land that plane. I want you to watch what happened. Point landing. God never flown a plane before. But do you know how he did that? Listen. Let's stand. Are you listening right now? Because I want to tell you, I believe that the word of God, when it is preached, God speaks. There's some of you here this morning, I've already shared with you, you need to come to Jesus Christ. You need to come and make him Lord of your life. You need to profess and confess that you're a sinner and profess that he's the only one that can take away your sins. He's the only one that can save you. And I'm inviting you to do that right now. You need to listen because I believe God's speaking to you. Others of you, I have no idea. Those of you that are saved, maybe you're going through a time of testing. Maybe you're going through a period where you're really in a struggle right now. And you're wondering, why does God allow this? Let me tell you, God's got a plan for you. There's a purpose. God has a provision. He's trying to teach you. You can lean on him. You can follow him. You can trust him. You can put your faith in him day by day, hour by hour. But I have no idea what God's saying, but I believe God's speaking. 
And now is the time we come to respond to what God is saying to us. Father in heaven, this is the time we stand before you having heard your word, having your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts. Father, tell us now what we need to do. Guide us, direct us, lead us, bring us. But may we be obedient, Father, to whatever it is that you're saying to us. For I pray it in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed right now, you respond to the Lord as he speaks to your heart. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.